Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, Andy Sheckman, uh, President Miles Franklin, uh, you're the gold guy, but you're bigger than the gold guy. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, the massive amounts of debt that we have going on in the country, the impact of what that debt is doing, um, the impact of other nations moving to, to, to gold, You know, the BRICS nations, all that. We've done a bunch of shows together. Anyway, thanks for joining me, Andy. Yeah, Mark, great to be here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're always a wealth of information, and, and, uh, and I love your uh, passion and energy you have um, on these topics. Um, so I want to talk about 2024, what you think is going on this year, um, and maybe we'll talk about you know how we think we get through this year with like three big critical events that I see that we're dealing with. Uh, one, the massive amounts of debt, not just the United States has, but basically every nation has. I mean, unsustainable debt. Um, but then we have, uh, in the United States, we have an election year. And that's sure to cause some fireworks and volatility. And then we have the looming threat of war. And uh, we have war. It's not a threat of war. We have war, but uh, potentially escalating. Um, so those kind of, I kind of want to walk through that framework. But um, you know, you're, you're the gold guy, but like I said, not just gold, but you know, bricks and currencies and all of that. Um, okay. So let's start real quick by just sort of recapping 2023 and, uh, what, what happened in 2023? I know there was a lot of talk about the BRICS launching a new currency in August, uh, the death of the dollar, all of these things. So let's talk about 2023 and how it shaped up versus kind of what you thought or, or how we got through that. Sure. Well, you know, look, James Rickards is someone I respect an awful lot. And I had the good fortune of actually spending a little bit of time with him uh, before the August meeting, chatting with him about his theories. And I agree with everything he said. I think the mistake he made was was picking a time, saying that the Johannesburg meeting in August uh, of last year, where the BRICS uh, had their meeting, uh, would bring about not only a unified currency, a settlement currency, uh, backed by commodities, as we've been told by the Russian finance minister over and over and over again will happen, but he also said something that I've been saying for over three years, and that is that we will see a unification of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union with the BRICS. They're in essence the same countries and aligned very much the same, and, and I believe that'll happen, in fact, Uh, Right before the end of the year, the president of Belarus uh, called for this. He said, we need to get these these groups together. We all have the same interests. And even though the BRICS did not come out and and issue this unified currency, it doesn't matter to me. In fact, what they said was, 
let's have the finance ministers go back to the drawing board and present their findings in the 2024 meeting in Russia, one of 200 BRICS meetings that we will see over the course of 2024 in Russia. But we did see five countries formally uh, apply and formally be accepted. Six applied, five were accepted, or uh, I guess we could say Argentina was was asked to join, and they were going to, but the new, uh, the new administration declined. So we saw Egypt and Iran and the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and Ethiopia. And these are big. These are very big. Of course, with uh, UAE and with uh, Saudi Arabia, that's as big as it gets. With Ethiopia, the fastest growing economy in Africa, very, very resource rich. Egypt with its strategic shipping lines, the Straits of Hormuz and, and the Red Sea. And, and of course, um, you know, a, 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 if, if we look at this coalition um, in terms of its significance with energy, I think it, it is huge. And when we talk a little bit about what's happened so far this year, I'll talk to you about what the United Arab Emirates did. And I think it's the biggest shot across the bow. But it's, it's big. And I don't think the fact that these things didn't happen immediately is a big deal. In fact, I think it adds credibility to the BRICS. I think the people in the West think that instant gratification is not fast enough. And if anything, look, this has been a 17-year deal with the BRICS. This hasn't just come out of nowhere. And they're doing things methodically. And they are doing things, I believe, well thought out. And I, and I think this plays into Brett Johnson's milkshake theory, which I agree with. The dollar is still the strongest currency in, until it's not. This will be death by a thousand cuts, little by little by little by little. I call it logarithmic decay. Little by little by little by little by little, bang, at some point we see things shift. And it wasn't in 2023, and it may or may not be in 2024. But what I do see is a growing legitimacy uh, to where now we've seen 30 countries, 30 formally apply to this growing legitimacy, this growing union of countries pushing back against the West. So as far as BRICS are concerned, Mark, I think that 2023 was a big year. I think 2024 will be a bigger year. But all I can tell you is that in my mind, I believe at some point we see that all at once moment when enough countries have joined together in the crypto space, I guess you would call it mass adoption. Uh, and I don't think we've seen mass adoption yet, but you add 30 more countries to now 10 with another 20 that have informally applied we're beginning to get to that mass adoption moment in GDP and military might and oil and gas production and, and all energy production and critical resources, everything, human population, you name it. And at that point, I think it becomes not only more likely, but much more credible that we see something like that happen. Yeah. I like what you said about the death by a thousand cuts. Uh, I think that's certainly um, kind of where we're at. Um, and I like to say, you know, I typically say it's, it's all this is a process, not an event. And to your point about people looking for instant gratification, you know, when the dollar took over the reserve standard from the sterling a uh, hundred years ago, yep. I mean, that was a, about a 40 year process. Like it doesn't it just doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a couple of years. It doesn't happen in a decade. It take, it's multiple decades. And so the thousand cuts is sort of that process that we're seeing. We do know that we've seen nations. I mean, if you follow Luke Grauman's work, which I'm sure you do, and I've had him on the show several yeah. times, um, we do see that they have been using less U.S. treasuries and they've been moving to gold as a reserve for example. So not as a medium of exchange, but certainly as a store of value reserve asset. Um, well, let me comment on that real quick. And I'm glad you brought that up. I'm a big fan of Luke. He's one smart guy for sure. You know, you look at gold since the beginning of, of 2000, you know, go all the way back and you see the S&P appreciate by 7% per year. You see gold appreciate on average by 7.8% per year and and it's really in terms of its percentage it's destroyed the bond market and if you look just over the last few years in terms of what we've seen in gold's appreciation in 2020 the price of gold let me give you the exact number here in 2020 the price of gold on average was bear with me one second here we go 1773 in 20 uh, that's 2020 excuse me 2021 1798 average price 2022, 1801, 2023, 1943. 
So you go all the way back to the beginning of the century, with the exception, perhaps, of a gain in Bitcoin. I know, I know you uh, have strong feelings about Bitcoin, and, and, and I don't have any negative feelings about Bitcoin whatsoever. But just speaking in terms of traditional assets, gold has been the tortoise, not the hare. And when you think about it in terms of so using gold to replace the function of treasuries, look, I think what gold offers is trust. Um, and and it's transparent trust. Whereas you could argue with what's been going on with the U.S., we are beginning perhaps in some people's eyes to lack a little bit of trust. When we look at the bond market, they said in 2023 that gold, it was the first time in 45 years that gold had less volatility than the 10-year treasury. So I think it's completely logical for countries to shed treasuries, which have volatility, uh, issued by a country that perhaps is lacking a little bit of trust and appears to be choosing inflation over austerity, um, I truly do believe that that is a growing trend. You will see countries like China, like Saudi Arabia, like all these countries that are shedding treasuries. And look at the numbers. Uh, 2023 was the, and 2022, both biggest years ever, one after the other. Uh, central bank purchasing in history. So yeah, it appears, I think Luke's right. I think they are selling treasuries slowly uh, and accumulating gold as a form of of a substitute, if you will, for a treasury and go back to the beginning of the, of the century. And it really does really kind of fit that bill in terms of safe, secure, no counterparty risk and watching it appreciate at a slow, steady, steady growth. I think the concept of using a, a, a government or a, a foreign government's debt as an asset from a historical context has but a very brief history. Gold, yeah. not so brief. And I think we're kind of going full circle. Yeah, it's almost ridiculous when you think about that, um, using another country's uh, debt as a reserve asset, if you will. And so this is what I see as a bigger shift going on, right? And I'm sure you would agree, and this is what Luke points to, but um, a neutral reserve asset. I mean, that's basically what you're yep. just saying, right? It's like a neutral reserve yes. asset. And so... Uh, a lot of people say that, you know, you can't replace the dollar. That would definitely be Brent Johnson's uh, argument. And I'm going to have him on later to, 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 to make that case. Um, you can't just replace the dollar, you know, the SWIFT system, the correspondent banks, the deep bond market, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can't. And, and they're, they're absolutely right. And, and Russia isn't going to replace the bond market. China's not going to replace the U.S. bond market. Um, but gold is eating away at that. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think this illustrates a much bigger shift, the one that I hit on all the time, which is the sort of this decentralized revolution, sort of the, the pendulum swinging back from 60, 80 years of, of centralization and now going back to decentralization. So the, the, the days of the dollar homogeny are sort of over and now each nation not wanting to trust each other. Um, the BRICS nations, you know, as far as the currency um, or a, a, a specifically a reserve asset, I'm not so sure about that because I think that trust is gone, which is why that neutral reserve asset, like a gold reserve asset, sort of makes sense. Well, my take on that has always been, you know, people say that trust. And I wonder, I, I look at what's happening in this country and I say, are we really trusted anymore? I mean, are we trusted the way we really once were? Is this the country that you and I, when we were kids in the 70s and 80s, is this really the country we grew up in? I would say Lawlessness, no. <laughs> no respect for authority. Yeah, no. All of that stuff, the open borders, the you know blindfolded Lady Liberty holding the scales of justice. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Can you argue that the current and the previous administrations have been treated equally? All of these things that made this country great um religion nuclear family you know all of these things seem to be questioned right now and i and i would say to you that the way that this works go back to what zoltan pozar has been saying bretton woods three mm -hmm. we've i think we've talked about this briefly where bretton woods won at the end of world war ii as you just mentioned we took over for the pound sterling the loose bretton woods two when it when we closed the gold window and then became the petrodollar and now a system that will be according to zoltan backed or described or predicated on commodities and transparency. And this is the marriage of blockchain technology and commodities. And I think that's what the Russian finance minister is getting at. And I agree. You don't need to replace the reserve status of the dollar to massively chip, 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 chip away at the settlement status of the dollar. And I think Jim was very careful in his words, that would be Jim Rickards, when he said, settlement common settlement currency but you continue to chip away at the settlement status of the dollar at what point does it begin to 
dramatically affect the reserve status of the dollar and the bond market and interest rates and the unintended or maybe the intended corollary consequences. And this is where gold comes in. Uh, or Bitcoin, something that would act for these countries as a as an asset that doesn't carry U.S. counterparty liability that would allow them to take their excess cash and put it into something that would not only preserve its purchasing power, but potentially grow its purchasing power and, in fact, remove counterparty liability, whether it be U.S. default liability, U.S. inflation liability, or just the, the risk of rates going higher in this system where less and less and less settlement is being done in dollars and all of those dollars sloshing around make their way home, creating more and more and more inflation, which leads to higher rates. And this is just a vicious circle, but I agree and I want people to know, I mean, a lot of people would say Brent and I are on the opposite side of the table. In some respects we are, but in most respects we're not because I agree his, his premise is very logical but there is coming a, an inflection point. And I think the world looks at the dollar. The world looks at the, our policies. I mean, right now you got the, the Speaker of the House and, and, and the Senate talking about and the Biden administration backing not just the sanctioning of the Russian assets like we did with Iran and we start giving them back their sanctioned assets, but now confiscating them and using them to fund the war in Ukraine because the, the Congress doesn't want to give appropriations to more Ukraine funding. You cross that line of, of not just sanctioning under the guise of law, but but actually confiscating and using against that country. And now you've the whole world looks at the the trust? Really? Where where is the trust? And I think the, the world looks at the, the US very differently in that respect. Again, the rule of law. Is the rule of law what it once was? Is is Lady Liberty really blind or is she peeking out one eye. I don't know, but I think the rest of the world could look at things that way, Mark. And, and so I, I think ultimately the settlement status of the dollar will ultimately lead to the lack of use of the reserve status of the U.S. bond market. And that to me is where things start to get a little bit murky. And maybe that's what the role that gold will ultimately play um, in this new growing union of, of countries. But until then, Brent's right. Until then, the dollar is still the king. But you know, you, one other thing I'd like to say, and you, you look at the lead economic advisor to the United States government, it's interesting, a man named Jared Bernstein, his whole thesis is removal of the world reserve currency and his report, dethrone king dollar. So you look at the moves we've made around the globe and you have to ask yourself, I mean, was this intended? Could it, or could it just be too stupid to be stupid? I don't know. But I do think, in general, um, the the reserve status of the dollar will start to wane in the face of more and more and more settlement outside the dollar. Yeah, um, I think it's both. I think it's uh, some intentional and some stupidity. <laughs> it's probably a combination of both. And what I'd say back to dollar is still king dollar. King of what? Uh, king of currencies, sure. King of fiat currencies, uh, but the the king U.S. dollar. So we've seen, um, you know, I think it was Lebanon was the worst performing currency to the dollar. Maybe I don't know. Argent, uh, Venezuela's probably good. Yeah, Venezuela, Argentina, Argentina, Argentina Lebanon. Yeah, Argentina. I mean, they're all they're all competing, right? But they've all lost, you know, big to the U.S. dollar. But the U.S. dollar's lost big too. The U.S. dollar is down 65% to median U.S. real estate. It's down about 70% to the S&P 500. It's down about 170% to Bitcoin. It's down, right? it's down to everything as well. So it's king of what? It's king of fiat currencies. Okay, but they're all sinking, right? It's the, it's the slowest sinking ship, if you will. Um, gold, uh, you know, is sort of back up to its previous all-time high. But when you adjust it for inflation, it's actually nowhere, not, well, not, well, I don't want to say nowhere, but it's certainly not back to its all-time high. So you have to kind of take that into consideration. Uh, but let's just jump gears a little bit. So let's, if we're looking forward to 2024, I, as I said, there's these three critical events that I see that I think that are driving markets. So one is this massive amount of debt that's sort of forcing the hand of governments. Uh, then we have the election year and then potentially war. So let's talk through each of those. I know you've talked a lot about the debt, the amount of debt that the U.S. government has and the assets they have to back this up. But um, the debt sort of puts the government in this rock in a hard place. The government is overspending. So that means they need more debt. The deficit spending is growing. 
How do you think that affects this year, 2024, and even maybe into 2025? Um, do you think that this massive amount of debt, at some point, is going to blow everything up? I think we'd both agree on that. At some point, you just can't sustain that anymore. I don't think that happens this year, but uh, I think to me, it means that they're going to continue spending in deficit, which means the markets will and, and the economy will probably keep humming along in an inflationary type environment. But what's your take on that? What do you think the debt well, that's does? That's what I mean. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, but th that's that's yes, I agree with everything you just said. I really do. And, and uh, look, in terms of the debt, let's just first quantify it. Most people, Mark, uh, nowadays, I don't think it's un, uh, unrealistic for people to expect to make a million dollars in their lifetime. Most of us will, if you work in long enough. Um, and we see all sorts of billionaires around us. So, you know, the, 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 the number trillion sounds a lot like a million and a billion. It can't be that big. But let's just first baseline it and say, for definition purposes, a trillion seconds ago was 31,688 years ago. That's, that's first and foremost. You got Neanderthals walking around the plains of Europe a trillion seconds ago. That's mm -hmm. one trillion seconds ago. And it took, I don't know, like 230 years to accumulate our first $2 trillion in debt. Yet, if you go back to January 1 of 2023, we were at $31.4 trillion debt, and you go to... January 1 um, uh, th of this year, and, and we're at 34 trillion plus. We, we've grown by $2.6 trillion over the course of the 2023 calendar year. We, we saw $900 billion in gross interest payments. And I, and I think this is the point where I think we start to bring the, mil the milkshake theory or, or the dollar bull theory into focus, and it is simply this. The Congressional Budget Office tells us, by their own estimation, and they're, and they're always wrong, they're going to be way, way um, more, I think, lenient on the facts than we could really expect to see. But they're telling us, by their own admission, that by 2031, in seven years, 100%, 100% of all tax revenue will go just to pay the interest on the debt and a mandatory entitlement spending like Social Security. Now, Social Security is off balance sheet. It's about 70 trillion in the hole, 70 trillion. And you add in Medicare and Medicaid and government military pensions, we're at about 130, 140 trillion. So we're about somewhere between 150 and 200 trillion dollars in debt. But ask yourself this, how is it that we can expect to be the dominant financial and military power in the world when in less than seven years, 100% of all discretionary spending, which includes military, will need to be borrowed? Why would anyone want to borrow us money? A country that will inflate, will choose inflation. And we, I think that's becoming obvious because of all of the obligations we have, both on balance sheet and off. Who the hell's going to pay for them, let alone the 10 million people who, who have just walked into this country mostly illegally? Who's going to pay for their schooling and their housing and their medical? And what's going to happen to the wages of the American paying, Amer tax paying Americans who are these low income jobs that are now going to be much lower? pay uh, uh, offer salaries because you have all these immigrants looking for work the whole situation is getting worse and worse meaning the entitlements will go higher and higher the obligations higher and higher and how the hell do we pay for it how do we pay for 10 trillion dollars in bonds that come due this year i got an idea let's borrow some more money Print. so the point of it <laughs> yeah, is creative. is that we're debt we're insolvent uh, we're, we're broke, we're insolvent and we're right there at 130% debt to gdp real damn close to it and in all of history, there's never been a country cross that line that didn't come back or never came back. There has never been a country to come back without defaulting or hyperinflating. So I guess I would say that debt is a very, very, very big problem that won't go away. In fact, it's only going to get worse. And when you talk about, you know, the Fed pivoting because it's an election year. Well, I mean, here again, they're just signaling that they're going to do what all governments have done. And that is to try and get reelected and choose inflation over austerity, over the tough choices. And we're a government, we have a, a government addicted to spending. And, and, and unless we pay much higher taxes and go through a, a world of much less government spending, which, come, which comes with much more pain in both areas, ain't gonna change. And I don't think it does change. 
So then uh, in regards to the debt, um, and you, you're thinking your base case is that uh, lots more of it's coming. Uh, the government yeah. is going to choose to print over going to a budget and austerity, cutting back. Um, and eventually it will blow up, but probably not in 2024. Yeah, I, I think eventually it has to. I mean, mathematically, at what point does the rest of the world see it? Who in their right mind would loan us money at any level of duration? I mean, I mean, I think you got to be out of your mind to do that. So especially when you look at the way that we gauge inflation and the metrics by which we even gauge unemployment, they just revised the 2023 numbers down by 440,000 jobs. Sorry, we were off by 40%, but we'll tell you that the year after. Right. So the, the, the point is, is that we're being lied to by the Fed constantly. And I think the world is beginning to lose trust in us, in the metrics, in our management of the currency, and our decisions of the policymakers who are really inflating away the value of the world reserve currency. So when you talk about selling oil or any of these goods for a currency that is being inflated, let's not forget that part of the, the petrodollar deal as well was to go back into US treasuries. Well, how'd that work out the last few years? Volatility in the treasury market, inflation. And, and I just think that we are, like you said, we're between a rock and a hard place with all of the government debt right now, with all of the personal debt, if, and look at the banks that are hanging on by a thread. You raise rates high enough, you blow up the whole system, and they know that. So as much as they would like to have less inflation, I think they don't want to see the, the, the whole system blow up, especially in an election year. So they'll pivot, they'll do what they can, but ultimately you have to ask yourself, who's going to buy our bonds? And so if it falls back on the institutional traders, I believe that they will demand higher rates for the risk of default, for the risk of inflation, and for the risk of just higher rates. And so ultimately, again, all roads lead to the same place. But yeah, I, I, I don't think that uh, we will see, um, this, won't, this won't end well. And I don't, I don't, you know, I think the mistake people make is saying, yeah, it's gonna be this year. Look, I think we're living on borrowed time. Mathematically, this stuff should have happened a long time ago. Logically, it should have happened a long time ago, but here we are, and I guess we'll we'll just keep on humming along until the wheels fall off. Yeah. Um, now let's move into the second part, the, the second critical uh, event happening this year, which is the election. Um, I think maybe only one potentially uh, president, um, incumbent president running for a second term during a recession has been elected. Um, no president returning wants to lose an election, and certainly the Democrats in office do not want to lose that this year. Um, and so you would think then just rationally that then they would use every tool at their potential disposal to make sure that does not happen. Uh, from lying about the data, to your point, <laughs> having the BLS data come out and having to revise it a year later, from lying, changing the way CPI is calculated, to potentially pumping money directly into the markets like we've seen in 2020, et cetera. Um, so my thinking is that they're going to do everything they can, including helicopter money if they have to, to make sure this doesn't happen. Um, and so that's another big catalyst for this year. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think the, all of that sounds probably pretty logical. But feel, again, feel free to I disagree with me. I don't want to lead you into anything. So no, I, I I don't I don't disagree. But I guess the only place I disagree is, and I I say this with respect for the office of the president, because one of the things that bothered the hell out of me, Mark, over the last you know I don't know six years or whatever, is the lack of respect for the office of the president, and and you know. But I'll tell you, this, 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 this gentleman is too old, it seems, and he seems cognitively uh, impaired. And I think all of this is going to amount to nothing because I think, you know, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You have to ask yourself, if Biden is the, is the candidate for the Democrats, you have to wonder, I mean, is there enough confidence just in his ability uh, to run another four years? So, I, you know, all this stuff that they're doing, is it going to be in vain? And I think more than anything, they've shown their hands to, to really do things that are, again, chipping away at the culture of this country. And when you strip someone off the ballot, I mean, the last time that happened was Abraham Lincoln. We saw a civil war. And I think that's the kind of feelings. Look, there was a report that came out recently by a small college in Virginia that said half of, about 55% of Democrats think violence is is um, um, okay to get their results. And, and about 45% of Republicans said the same thing. We are so divided, so divisive, uh, and red and blue can't even talk to each other anymore. So I, I just think that 
it's not a good situation at all if there is any if there is any um feeling of of it being not a fair election and i don't think that what they will do i mean they're going to try you can see that they're going to try and you know keep interest rates low prop up the markets make everything seem rosy but if you look and and, and see who's our president um i i wonder if it if it amounts to a whole bunch of nothing now maybe we see a new democratic candidate like gavin newsom show up and and maybe that changes things i don't know but well, they they could yeah, they, they could say they could say they hey keep democrats in they, they could say hey biden's too old he decided he wants to step down let's just go ahead and slide in gavin newsom whatever but you want to continue with this ideology or you know that's what i call it but you want to continue with this administration because we're on track look how good the economy is if you go to trump he's gonna or whatever he may not run either he might be in prison uh, but if you go to a different ideology if you go to the republican party things could fall apart so stick with us so either way whether they replace biden or not they're gonna still want the economy to good uh i'm thinking so my base case is like i said if, if there's anything they can do uh even helicopter money uh, in, they will do that. Um, so I just don't see that there's this big risk of this massive recession or market crash happening this year if they could prevent it. And my base case is they probably can keep it going for a while longer. And that's why I was just trying to get your opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And, you know, the thing is, is that the public is getting such, unless people are watching guys like you who are, giving real information, um, factually based. I think it's hard for people to understand just how dire things maybe are outside the country. And yeah, everyone feels what's going on inside the country. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I think that, um, I think that they'll be able to keep it going and they'll try to keep it going as long as they can. But if people really understood what was happening outside the country, what was happening to the dollar and the de-dollarization and all of the things that are happening, I mean, I, I wonder if it would be a different outcome. And, and you know, evidently you're a, a threat to democracy, according to uh, Al Gore, who says people watching, alter, you know, the alternative media crowd is a threat to democracy because we're saying something different than what the mainstream is talking about. But look, Mark, all I can tell you is I think it's going to be an incredibly um, interesting year and the election certainly will be the, the focal point of it. And I hope, I hope there is no perception of this being anything but a very fair uh, and and um, lawful election. And, and if so, then let's see where the chips fall. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the third critical event that I see that could potentially change the outlook in markets and, and economies is um, is war. So already we're seeing the Red Sea starting to choke point on oil. Oil is now having to be diverted a long way around. That's going to increase the price of oil, although the demand could continue to fall. It's a commodity, so it's driven by supply and demand. So we'll see how that plays out. But potentially... You know, war could escalate. We have, you know, obviously China, Taiwan. Now, you know, somewhat historically, war has been good for the economy, um, good for uh, defense stocks. <laughs> um, so do you think that um, the the potential war and, uh, well, we have war, but like I said, the war escalation potentially, um, could that derail the markets um, this year and the economy? Or is your base case that it will or it won't? I mean, I, look, you know, we've been, we've been, it seems we, we've been at war forever. I, I, I don't know. I mean, God forbid we get into a, to a much more uh, escalated war and certainly a, a war with China if they were to try to do something with Taiwan or, you know, I, and I wonder, you know, I, I, I guess you could argue maybe Iran. And what does it mean that Iran, who's obviously the perception is that they're backing the Houthis and uh, what does it mean that they've joined the BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is the largest regional military organization on the planet? What does it mean they're full-fledged members? I don't know, but I don't think war is good at any time, and I think that's part of the problem. The world is getting tired of all of the war, and, and maybe the, the fact that it, it just seems the military-industrial complex is behind so many of these wars, I don't see it as being uh, good for anything, but certainly it wouldn't be good, I think, for or the economy, uh, or even the stock market, or the bond market. I can't see it being good because I think it's just another... Look, this whole thing is like a house of Jenga to me, and you keep pulling out pieces of, 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 of American heritage, of, of the American culture, and, and if, if we have to result to war uh, to 
prop up the markets, I just think it's a very sad state of affairs. And I'd like to hope that we don't get embroiled in another war. But look, you know, there's no coincidence that that you're talking about this happening at the choke point, at, at the Red Sea and, and the Suez Canal. But what people don't understand is that, look, you could argue when you talk about the countries that have just joined the BRICS, you've got the Suez Canal and the Red Sea surrounded. And but this falls right into the hands of the BRICS and Russia with their brand new, they've got this Northern Sea route, which goes right up at, uh, through the space where everyone else has to go around the Cape of Good Hope. And so, you know, and now you have the, the BRICS Naval Alliance that will be patrolling the Red Sea. And I think that this is a lot bigger than people think. And certainly if I had to guess, just like we went to war in Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction 20 years ago, we're still occupying their country. Uh, this is a critical choke point for, for oil and, and for trade. So I would say there's probably a fairly good probability that we get into something deeper here um, in this spot, right in the Yemen area with the Houthis. And um, I don't know what it does to the economy, but I think it has a lot to do with the price of oil and, and our influence in that region. But Actually, I think it actually plays right into the hands of, uh, of the BRICS and, um, and all of their new routes and the Belt Road Initiative. All of these new routes that uh, kind of circumvent traditional routes that are patrolled by the U.S. Navy. And whether it be the, this northern sea route or the north-south corridor that goes from Iran to, to uh, India. And, you know, permission-based uh, transport when you look at the, the the belt road initiative this massive infrastructure program it will be patrolled solely by military and commerce so this is just more of the same it's and there's no coincidence that the countries that have have first applied or first been accepted not only are they energy rich but they're also in very important choke points uh in terms of 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 global commerce and and this is one of them so if i had to guess yes i would think we'll see an escalation in yemen and um I don't know what it does for the economy. I just think it adds that much more um, resentment uh, to the United States. Ultimately, not a good thing. Mm. Okay. Um, let's see. So three critical things. Definitely need to keep our eye on. Um, they're all potential. I don't want to call them black swans because we see them. So they're all potential gray swans. But they could greatly change the outcome of this. Uh, the one thing I would just say, uh, I want to pivot into some questions that I had uh, the audience uh, had submitted ahead of time. Uh, but I would say uh, Gerald Salente, who I've had on my show several times, he always says that uh, when all else fails, they take you to war. And uh, that's from the debt standpoint, but also from the political standpoint as well. And so when the country is very divided, uh, I think a lot of times they, they hope that war could then somehow bring people back together. Um I don't think that worked so well in Israel for uh, Bibi over there. <laughs> um, but, you know, potentially if there's a war going on, I'm sorry, you know, in this election that could be a tight election, potentially they could use war as a way to do that. But uh, we'll see where that goes. Um, so, so we've sort of framed this up, um, I think, pretty well. Um, I want to get to some some questions that I have, like I said, here from the sure. audience. Um I kind of, I, I threw them out to the list and they, they pre-submitted them. So I have one here. Um, Free Skate is the name here. Uh, let's see what they're saying. So they said, uh, well, they want to know if you have any uh, predictions of where you think the price of gold will go over the, over the next year. Um, when I started in this industry, Mark, the Dow Jones was 2,100 and the Nikkei was nearly 40,000. And Japanese-owned Rockefeller Center and Pebble Beach and casinos in Vegas and ski resorts in Colorado, and they made uh, they made better motherboards and engines than anyone in the world. They were taking over the world, and here we are, 30 years later, where the Dow Jones has gone from 2,100 to over what 36, 7,000, 38,000, and and the Nikkei has at one point was down 75 percent, and it's never gotten back to where it was when I started in this industry 33 years ago. The one thing I have learned is that bull markets go higher than anyone thinks possible and bear markets will fall further than anyone ever thinks possible. And that's a very, very, I think the only absolute that I can give you, but I will, I will tell you this, that when you see the most well-informed, forget about the most well-funded, 
that being the central banks, but the most well-informed traders on the globe accumulating what the Bank of International Settlements called a tier one reserve asset, the only one next to dollars and treasuries, ultimately the price goes higher than people will ever imagine. And that's the one thing I learned is that bull markets go higher than people think and bear markets go fall further than people think. I think gold will ultimately go higher than anyone can imagine. And it will be pegged to some new system, a marriage to blockchain, a backing of the system, giving it credibility because who trusts China and Russia? Who trusts us? Well, how about a trustless system? And I think that's what it will ultimately come back to. And, and why else would the BIS reclassify gold as tier one and not something else like special drawing rights from the IMF or whatever? Heck, even, even Kristalina Georgieva, the head of the IMF, said if you don't peg a central bank digital currency to something, then it's just fiat. And when you see the massive acquisition by the most well-informed traders on the globe, it tells me that gold will have its day. Now, is it going to be 2024? Maybe. 2025? Don't know. But just look at what we've seen. It's averaged 7.8% per year for the last 24 years and had a really nice run last year up, I don't know, 10, 12%. So I don't know. I think anyone who picks a number would be just guessing, but it will continue to move higher and ultimately will go much higher. Don't know if it's this year or not. Yeah. A lot going on this year, but I still feel comfortable saying that I would expect it to finish this year much higher than it did last year. Yeah. Don't know what that number is. Yeah, and, and just for me to add some color onto that, I mean, uh, the previous high set in 2011, when adjusted for inflation, which is a fake number as well, but based off of what, what we've been told is about almost about 2,500, 2,472 is the official uh, number. Uh, it'd be much higher than that. So we'd have to really, Bitcoin has not hit that a new all-time high. Uh, when adjusted for inflation, we'd have to get back above 2,500 to really get to that number. Uh, again, based off the government number, um, which is totally doable. Steve Forbes has made a, a public call to be 2,500. Um, and then you got the Jim Rickard saying that, hey, it could be 30, 40, 50,000 if governments decided to sort of go back to some sort of a gold standard side and how they want well, to. Well, you know, it's interesting too. All of the central banks, the name of the account for all of these years that gold is held in is called the gold revaluation account. Mm. Now, I don't know why they named it that, but it's kind of interesting when you think of it and then look at what the Dutch National Bank, uh, the head of the Dutch National Bank said, and, and others who said, yeah, you know, this is a solution to the problem of our debt. We just revalue gold to a much higher level, and then our assets are worth more than our debt, and our balance sheet is fixed just like that. That's not so crazy to think, because that's what he did. That's what he did back in, uh, in uh, 1907, or 33, rather, when he confiscated gold and then devalued the dollar by 40%, making gold worth 40% more. Is it that crazy to think that could happen? No, I, I don't think it is, but just food for thought. Yeah. All right. I got another question here from uh, Danny's World, and he is saying, um, is silver dead? Uh, the question is that uh, because silver was demonetized um, and is no longer being used or being acquired by central banks, is silver dead? That's not true. I mean, the uh, the Bank of India in the past two years has purchased almost 400 million ounces, uh, 304 million last year and at least 80 million this year that they that we know of. Uh, China has purchased a bunch of silver, uh, I don't know, 60, 80 million ounces. Um, silver is being accumulated. It just doesn't have the reporting that gold does. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing when you look at silver. And I think it's, it's very fair to say that I believe anyway that it is suppressed. Now, there's... It's interesting, there's an article that I, I think people should look at, and it's by the pickaxe, talking about the amazing amount of silver that is needed in all of these high-tech weaponry systems. There's 500 ounces in the tip of a Tomahawk cruise missile. There's much more than that in things like ICBMs, but it's needed in aerospace, it's needed in submarines, and it's interesting, and he cites all sorts of fact, and yet when you look at the Silver Institute number that will show another 200 million ounce or plus in deficit versus uh, supply, they don't even count military in it. You have an asset that is depleting in nature. It, it's found in nature in a form called epithermal, like your skin is epidermis, it's very near the surface. And you know, my buddy Keith Newmeyer will be the first to tell you it's coming out of the ground right now at seven to one, yet it's priced at about 82 or three to one. Something's wrong there. And I think country like India and, and China and all the countries that are accumulating it the way that they are. So the central banks are buying it. 
quietly um, tells a different story. And when you look at an asset that has experienced a monetary renaissance that is used in increasingly in green and digital applications is decreasing in nature, um, is coming out of the ground at a ratio about 11 times under its price ratio right now, it's averaged roughly 42 to one gold to silver ratio for the last 150 years, largely because of gold's role as money. Um, but the geologic ratio for 5,000 years before that was 16 to one. Now it's seven to one, it's disappearing. You have an asset that is increasing in demand and decreasing in supply. And ask yourself, why the hell do you have four or five commercial banks with the largest short position, concentrated short position of any commodity traded on COMEX? Why? And I will simply tell you that I think silver is, in my mind, look, I don't sell gold and silver as, as investments. To me, they're wealth. And I want that to be very clear. Wealth that has lived for 5,000 years through two world wars, German hyperinflation, Great Depression, everything the world's thrown at it, every pandemic, you name it. Um, but I do think that silver should be characterized as a strategic metal, not an industrial. And by suppressing the paper price, where right now in the registered category on COMEX, those are the bars backing um, the contracts that are issued. It's the same thing the Hunt brothers saw in 1980. There's over 1,500% more paper then there are bars standing behind it. They're suppressing the price, but for why? And why are the commercial banks doing this? And uh, I would simply tell you that to me, it is the buying opportunity or the value of a generation. And I'm dead serious about that. I think it is the value of a generation, but yes, it is underperformed. It is counterintuitive. It is frustrating as hell. Does not change the reality in my mind that it is an asset that is needed in so many areas and there's a lot of a lot of um, tomfoolery, I guess you could say, surrounding the the price of of silver, at least at, on the exchanges. But my mind has always been that look, here here's food for thought. On on the last day, on December 27th, let me give you the exact number here. On December 27th, um, I want to give you the exact number because it's important. On December 27th, uh, 2023, gold or silver closed on the Shanghai Gold Exchange at, I got this somewhere. One second, shouldn't take but a second. Um, it closed on the Shanghai Gold Exchange at, I want to say, I can't find it, $26 and 50 cents and closed uh, in the United States at around 24. The numbers, I can't find it, but I had it here somewhere. The numbers in the, on the Shanghai Gold Exchange, the, uh, the last day of the year, were $2.30 or 40 cents higher an ounce, 10% higher in Shanghai than it was on the LBMA or on COMEX. Gold is averaged between six and 10% higher in Shanghai than on uh, the LBMA or on COMEX. And I believe you are slowly seeing the arbitrage turned up and they are, they are incentivizing the Western traders to arbitrage everything over there quietly. Here again, just like they're doing this whole BRICS thing, the countries that are accumulating it, the only reason they're not bitching is because they're the ones buying it at these subsidized prices. So they're using the West's leverage to support the illusion of a strong bond market and a strong currency, because what is gold and silver? They're monetary metals. They, they're the kryptonite to Superman. They're, they're, they're pulling the cape uh, 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 or the curtain uh, you know, at the Wizard of Oz and seeing it's a little frail man. And if you have gold and silver going much higher, you call into question the strength of the world reserve. So I believe that this suppression is, is being allowed to happen. And in fact, they don't care about it because we're dumb enough to keep these prices artificially low while they buy it. And the 400 million ounces or thereabouts that India bought is way more than is on the entire COMEX market right now. So no, silver is not dead. And silver will be one of these things where we wake up on a Monday morning and it's, there's no one stupid enough to let go of it at that price where the COMEX gets rendered obsolete. And I believe before it's all said and done that you will see price setting for these kinds of commodities, a real one on the Shanghai Gold Exchange or others in that part of the world like in Dubai because they're the ones buying it all. They're the ones producing it all. They're the ones who understand its real value. And you can see 
slowly turn up that heat right now 10% more you can arbitrage if you're a big enough trader and have access to those markets you can buy in London or buy in the US and sell in uh, in China immediately for 10% gain now I think you know you're, you're you're a pretty literate financial guy you know that traders will, will arbitrage for a whole hell of a lot less than 10%. And that's exactly what we're beginning to see. So no, silver is not dead. I think it's the buy of a generation. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. I, I agree. And what we're seeing happening in the China uh, Shanghai exchange is definitely breaking the price of gold. We see the, the price continue to separate. And I think we'll eventually break the, the grip the LBMA has on the price of gold and silver. And so that sort of goes more to the Jim Rickert thesis, which it could pop to 30,000, you know, pretty quickly if something like that were to happen and it's probably only a matter of time i don't know it's probably not my base case it happens in 2024 but potentially 25 26 like it's 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 gonna yeah. it's gonna happen at some point um i agree with that we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up uh andy uh Sheckman, uh, president of miles franklin precious metals uh, milesfranklin.com always a wealth of knowledge always uh happy to have you on and uh with that we'll go ahead and sign it off I appreciate it, Mark. I follow everything you do. I think you're one of the brightest minds in the industry, and I'm honored to be here. And thank you for the invite. Look forward to seeing you in Vancouver in a couple of weeks. And uh, I uh, wish you and everyone else out there a very happy, healthy new year. And look forward to uh, picking up where we left off somewhere not too far down the road. All right. Thanks, Andy. All right. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bedatum. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to Brand New on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.